As we prepare to open God's word, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, make us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. Lord, you are good and upright, therefore you instruct sinners in the way. You lead the humble in what is right and teach the humble his way. So instruct and lead and teach us by your spirit through your word so that we may see Jesus. And hear us, we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. And we'll read the familiar account of the birth of Christ from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1090 in most Pew Bibles between the gospels of Mark and John. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to begin our reading at verse 1, but our text for this morning will really be verses 8 through 14, uh, the angelic appearance to the shepherds. But we'll read the whole account together. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 20. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, I always like to, in the Lord's Day before Christmas or before we get to Christmas, to consider one of the birth accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ from the Word of God. And um, after several years in the ministry, it becomes more and more daunting to come back to a text you've preached several times. And I always think to 
a time when I was growing up where I heard my pastor come into the pulpit, Reverend Kaminga, after his retirement and say, this will be the 17th time I'm preaching Luke 2 to this congregation. And I thought, well, if he can do it 17 times, I can do it a few more. Um, And it's always a wonderful text, right? It's a very familiar text to many of us, a wonderful account of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, one we probably turn to often this time of year to think about the glorious coming of our Lord. Um, And as Luke has built up in his gospel, as we've looked at a little bit of the build-up to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that Luke has talked about, um, we might be forgiven for finding the first seven verses of chapter 2 a little anticlimactic. Um, There has been great build-up, both in coming to Zechariah and telling him about the messenger who's going before the Lord as he comes, and Mary telling about this child who will be born of her from a virgin conception, holy from the Lord, and all of this build up. And then we come to the final birth account in the first seven verses, and it's very simply and matter of factly told. I mean, after all, this is the event that all of God's people have been waiting for throughout all of history. I think you can say without a doubt at this point in history, this was the most important event ever to have happened in the history of the world. I don't even think it's up for debate. Everything else behind it is number two or whatever. But this is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And how does Luke tell it? And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Um, we want to say, really, Luke? That's, that's it? This is the most important thing that's ever happened. Where's the glory? Right? Where's the glory? Um, and that's why it's great that Luke didn't stop there, and the glory is revealed really in the angelic announcement to the shepherds of the birth of the Lord. That's where the glory comes into the story. And that's what we want to think about together, the glory of Christmas uh, that comes in this angelic announcement to the shepherds of a Savior being born. That's where really the glory is for Luke. The event is an ordinary human birth, but it has extraordinary spiritual consequences and meaning. And that's what we see, where we see the glory in the announcement that comes to the, to the shepherds as they announce and hear the announcement of Christ's birth. It's this coming that is the most important event in all of the world. It's this coming, as we read it in this passage, that will drive out darkness, that will dispel all fear, and that demands all praise. That's how we want to think of the coming of Christ and the glory of Christmas as is presented here in verses 8 through 14. The coming that drives out all darkness, that dispels all fear, and that demands all praise. Uh, this is the coming that drives out all darkness. Um, this is the wonderful reality of the Christmas story as it's presented to us. One of the difficulties, I think, with passages that we are so familiar with, it's hard for us to read them carefully. Um, we can become so familiar with them that we, we read over them. And this is a passage that's probably familiar even to people who've only just seen the Christmas special for you know Charlie Brown Peanuts every year. Um, they know the story from the King James Version. They've heard it repeated. Um, these things are things we've repeated so often Um, that even I bet as I went on, you could fill in the details for me if I asked you what was there. So you have shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And what's the next detail that Luke gives us? I'll give you a hint. It's before they are sore afraid. An angel appeared to them and what? The glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. That, you know, that's a detail I think that's easy to run over. Um, it's a detail that's easy to not pause over, to not think about carefully, to not really be amazed by this fact that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Um, I don't know how you've envisioned this passage in your mind's eye, what you see happening. We probably all see a brilliant, dazzling light. And there, there maybe is a temptation to think, well, the glory of the Lord shining around them, that's just what happens when angels show up. Uh, they've come like Moses from the presence of the Lord. They're probably shining with that glory, and that glory is just reflected. This is just the normal angelic appearance. And it's interesting how many commentators sort of say that. This is just another angelic appearance where the usual thing happens. Angels appear. Everybody's afraid. The angels say, don't be afraid. They get on with their announcement. It's just kind of a, a pattern repeated. But, you know, this is the third angelic appearance that Luke has described to us saying he wanted to lay down a very careful, accurate, detailed record of what Jesus began to do. And in neither of the other angelic appearances did the glory of the Lord shine around them. An angel appeared to Zechariah, but we're not told the glory of the Lord shone around them. An angel appeared to Mary, we're not told that the glory of the Lord shone around them. But here... When the angel appears to the shepherds here after the Lord Jesus Christ is born, what are we told? The glory of the Lord shone around them. And whenever the Bible mentioned the glory of the Lord, it had always been to, to present it to us as that kind of majestic, perceptible manifestation of the presence of God himself. God has come in a visible way whenever in the Bible the glory of the Lord is seen. Even when the glory of the Lord is shrouded by cloud in other places, it still is described as this glorious appearing. I think of the fearful sight on Mount Sinai, God's glory shrouded in cloud that we read about in Exodus 24, 17. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Um, or think of the glorious appearing of the Lord when the tabernacle is completed and the glory of the Lord fills it. We read in Exodus 40, 34, and 35, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the glory of the Lord shows up, it's, it's the, the majestic, perceptible, awesome presence of God among His people. That's what it's always meant in the scriptures, when the glory of the Lord is presented. And it's always important how the glory manifests itself. On Sinai, where the law is presented, where is the, how is the glory manifested? As a devouring fire. But here, how is the glory of the Lord manifested? It shines. 
It shines all around them. It lightens their darkness. That's an important part of the story, isn't it? We have shepherds who are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And we know that when there's no electric light, it gets dark pretty quick. And there's nothing but the moon and the stars to light the dark. They had no lights at night the way we have lights. So for suddenly the glory of the Lord to shine in the midst of this darkness might have been, must have been quite a sight. A light brighter than the sun. A light brighter than any light that people have ever seen. Shining all around them. And this was part of the hope that God's people had always lived in and had always been taught to live in throughout the Old Testament. The hope of a day coming when the light of God would shine in the darkness. When the glory of the Lord would shine in the dark. It's one of the end times promises that Ezekiel prophesied about in Ezekiel chapter 60 verses 19 and 20. The sun shall no more be your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. The light that brought glory, that's what Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel 43.2. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Right? This is a, a promise of the, the day that would come when the light of God would shine, the glory of God would shine, and drive out all darkness. It's that revelation that John sees as the city of Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new place where God's people will dwell. And what are we told about that place? Revelation twenty-one twenty-three. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Revelation twenty-two five, And night will be no more. They will need no, end, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. But what is the ultimate hope of God's people that day when the glory of God will drive out all darkness? Um, is the night in itself a bad thing? Is that what the Bible is teaching us? Well, no. God created both the day and the night and said that they were good. Um, but what does the night represent? It represents darkness. It represents danger, right? Why are shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night? Why can't all the shepherds be sleeping at night? Well, because night is when the thieves come. Night is when the predators come. Night is where the danger is. And that's what darkness and night represent figuratively in Scripture. All of the danger and the darkness and the sin and the difficulty of this world. That's what darkness represents. As one person put it, the entire range of the sufferings threatening us in the old world. And so what was the hope of God's people always? A coming glory. A coming glory that would shine in the dark and drive out the dark. So that there would only be the light of God shining in the world. 
And so I don't think it's something we should just pass over to hear that at the announcement of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, what is the first thing that happens in this announcement? The glory of the Lord shines in the dark. The glory of the Lord drives out the darkness of this moment. That's what is coming. That's what the coming of Jesus Christ signifies to this world. The darkness is being driven out. The light has come which will drive out all darkness. That's the good news of the glory of Christmas. And we should remember that as the people of God when we think about that entire range of darkness that's upon our world. Uh, The false ideologies, the false philosophies, all of the false things masquerading as truth, your truth, my truth, their truth. There is a darkness in this world, the entire range of which is going to be driven out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what His coming signals to His people. And that in answer to the earnest prayer of God's people throughout all generations, because they hoped for that, they prayed for that. That was a prayer of God's people, that the light would drive out the dark, that the light of God's glory would be to them preservation and peace, restoration and rest. Think of the prayer of Psalm 67, 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Or the plea that's repeated three times in Psalm 80. Restore to us, o, restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. It's this shining that promises peace, restoration, life. The shining of God's face upon them. That was the blessing that the priest would pronounce. May the face of the Lord shine upon you. May his countenance shine upon you and do what? Give you peace. And here the glory of the Lord shines in the dark. And that's where that blessing, that's where that prayer reaches its its highest lofty heights in the new heavens and the new earth. But it's begun when the Lord comes. Here at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the age to come is shining in to this present evil age. It's breaking in the glory that's one day coming to shine in the dark. John particularly will pick up this theme of Jesus as the light coming into the world. It's all over the book of John. We wouldn't have time to sketch it. Maybe you're afraid I'll try. I'm not going to, but I'll point you to three places in the gospel of John. John 1 verse 9, he says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. In John 12, 46, I have have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I don't think it's coincidental that the first thing that happens in the announcement of Christ's coming is a light that drives out all darkness. The glory of the Lord shining about them. One person put it, it's God's complete presence among his people 
is what beautifies them and satisfies their every need. Here is the appearing of the glory of the Lord shining. And that's why it's important not only that it drives out all darkness, but that it dispels all fear. Um, I think this is a different angelic appearance. As I said, there's so many people who just want to say this is kind of standard angel stuff. Angels appear, you get scared, they say don't be afraid, they give their message, we just kind of move on. But again here, this is a different kind of fear. I think if we rightly understand the appearance of the glory of the Lord, we understand why the fear is different. Um, Zechariah was afraid when the angel appeared. Mary was afraid when the angel appeared. But the shepherds are filled with great fear. And I think that's the kind of fear you fear, not just when angels appear, but when the glory of the Lord appears. Um, When you're confronted with the awesome, majestic, perceptible presence of the Lord, the way Isaiah feared when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. That Old Testament sense of to see the Lord was to die. Because how could a sinner see the holy God and live? Remember Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And maybe the shepherds were feeling that fear. I've seen the glory of the Lord. It's awesome, and I'm a sinner, and I see myself for what I am, and I'm afraid. And so what amazing good news it is that the angel comes with to say, actually, the shining of the glory of the Lord into the world is no cause for fear. In fact, it's cause for great joy. It means good news. Uh, This glory shining is an announcement of good news for all the people. Um, And then the angel brings the good news in all of its important details. Um, Every single one of these details is is worthy of a sermon on its own. Um, So I'll try not to do that. But all the details are important. Luke is a reporter after all. He's a historian. He wants to get the details straight, and everything that the angel announces is, important, is an important part of that news. Who is born? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, who is Jesus, and the kind of salvation He brings is to save sinners from their sins, to save them from the wrath of God, so that the glory of the Lord appearing would not consume them, but would bless them. So that sinners can stand before a holy God and receive the blessing of his preservation and peace. Jesus comes as a savior to save us from our sins. He comes as the Christ, the Messiah who was promised, who would come as the anointed one, the the chief prophet, the only high priest, the true and eternal king who comes to reign over his people. And he comes as Lord. He comes as God with us. Not a mere man, but man and God come now in the flesh. He is the Lord. The angels are announcing His coming into the world. Who is coming? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And for whom does He come? This is a great part of the announcement too. Who does He come for? For whom does He come? A Savior unto you is born this day. A Savior. Unto you is born this day 
a Savior. For whom is this Savior? He's a Savior for you. And who were they as shepherds? Nobodies. People of lowly estate, as Mary would have put it, who have been exalted to hear the first proclamation of the good news of Christ's coming. Who are they? They're nobodies. But Savior, the Savior has come for nobodies. That's good news for you and me. Because I don't know, well, I shouldn't speak for you, but I'm a nobody. Well, my dad's saying once, you know, when we're leaving church, there's no paparazzi out there to see what we're wearing or where we're going from here or interested in our lives. There's no news vans out there to report on our doings. But it's a message that the Savior is coming for the lowly of the world. The people that are overlooked by the world, who are thought of as nothing by the world. For the people like shepherds and the people like us. A Savior is coming and He's coming for you. That's the good news. He comes for you. A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. He comes for you and where is He? He's nearby. Right? These were shepherds who were in the same region, physically near to the Lord, maybe as close as two miles away, so that when they hear this announcement, they can go right away and find Him. What is part of the good news? Not just that a Savior is born, that He's born for you, but that He's near. You can go and find Him. He was physically near to them, but he's still near to his people. What is his enshrined promise to us? I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's always near to his people. He's always within earshot of his people. You are never so far from him that he does not hear you when you call. The Lord is always within the earshot of His people. He's never so far away from you that He will not hear you when He calls, and He's never so far away from you that He will not speak to you. That's what He's doing to us now. In the preaching of the Word, He's speaking to His people. We're always close enough to be heard and to hear the Savior. Part of the good news is He's near. Who is He? Is He a Savior? For whom is He? For you. Where is He? He's near. And when is he? Now. Right? So many times in the history of God's people, they have heard the announcements of that great day coming. Oh, there's going to be a great day coming when someone will rise from Bethlehem. There's going to be a great day coming when a son will be given. There's going to be a great day coming when the Savior will be born. This is not one of those kinds of announcements. Those were great announcements. This is a greater announcement, not on that day, but today. This day, He's already come. He's in the world. The Savior is now, today. That's part of the good news. And that word, this day, today, will grow in importance to proclaim the entire kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, the entire messianic time of His salvation until He returns again. This becomes a long and great today, which is the day of salvation. 
We still say that, right? We still hold out that hope of the gospel to anyone who hears it. Today is the day of salvation. You can find the Savior today because He's near and He came for you and He's seeking worshipers who would find Him. It's part of the good news that He's here today and that He can still be found by those who seek Him. That this day is the day of salvation. And that should dispel all fear and turn all great fear into great joy. To know of that Savior. To know that that same Jesus who dispelled the shepherd's fear and turned it into great joy is still that Savior. Christ the Lord. He's still for you. He's still near even today. And that's glorious good news for all of us that demands our praise. Um, That's what happens at the end of this passage. It's news that demands all praise. Um, One commentator put it this way, with a song in its heart, heaven sends Jesus to earth. And we see that heavenly praise sort of can't be contained. It bursts forth into the world. Um, It bursts forth from this heavenly army turned choir. Like one commentator pointed out, paradoxically, an army announces peace. This is the heavenly host. This is the heavenly army that comes, that we see throughout Scripture. We get only glimpses of them in other places. Um, But when we usually get glimpses of this heavenly host, this angel army, it's only glimpses of them and they are at war when we find them. Maybe the best glimpse of them we ever see is in 2 Kings 6, 16, and 17 when Elisha and his servant are surrounded by foreign armies and his servant is so worried about that. And what does Isaiah say? Or I'm sorry, Elisha say, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Um, This is the army that's unseen but on the march that should give God's people that hope that there are more with us than there are against us. That's still true today. The church sometimes, I think, gets on this footing as if there are more against us than there are for us. That's not true. There are more for us than there are against us still today. This army that was for them is still for God's people. This army that they saw will be seen again by all people when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory. As Revelation 19 promises, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following the Lord on white horses. How wonderful it is to be reminded that we have these great helpers, these ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And we can think of them, right, for ages as created beings to serve God's people have been, since the beginning of creation, ministering, serving them, right, loving them because their Lord loves them. But what could angels never do for the people of God? These angels could always serve them, but they could never save them. These angels who have ministered since the creation of the world have always been able to serve the people of God and have loved serving the people of God. 
but they've never been able to save them. They've never been able to redeem them. They are as powerless as we are to save. And so why does heaven now burst forth with this praise? Why do these angels now sing praise? Because now one has come who can do what they could not do. The commander of the Lord's army is now coming. The commander that they've loved and known and served since their creation. Who they've gone to war for and fought under his banner. Who've been able to drive Satan and his host out of heaven. Now they see coming the one who can do what only he can do. Save the people of God from their sins. And it's not surprising that they can't help but burst forth into praise at the coming of the commander of the heavenly host who can now save the people of God. And what do they sing? Glory to God in the highest. His coming means glory to God in the heavenly heights. There's no greater expression of God that should receive glory in heaven than his sending of his son into the world to save. All the angels can sing together is glory. Glory to God in the highest heaven for this glorious work of sending his son. His coming means glory in heaven and his coming means peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. In heaven it means glory. On earth it means peace. And not the way the world likes to talk about peace in this time. Peace on earth, not the way the the world is talking about peace on earth. Um, A much grander vision of peace on earth. God's peace on earth. The full blessing of salvation that the Savior brings. Peace here is really a synonym for salvation. That's what the Savior brings. That's the peace He brings. Peace on earth. To whom? For those who are recipients of his grace. For those on whom his favor rests. Christ's coming brings glory to his Father in heaven by bringing peace on earth to his Father's beloved children. This is the glory. This is the glory that demands the praise of heaven. And if it demands the praise of heaven, certainly it demands the praise of earth as well those on whom God's favor rests, who know the grace of God revealed in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord has brought that good news to all of us today, to be embraced by faith so that we might find peace, salvation, the full blessings of what the Lord has brought, and so that it might produce in us the great joy of knowing that we are right with God And are blessed by him. I hope this good news brings us all great joy. That we will embrace it as the shepherds did. By faith in the Savior. Christ the Lord. Who drives out all darkness. And who dispels all fear. And who demands all praise. Both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, make us arise and shine, for our light has come, and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ has risen upon us. By your grace and favor, we know that Jesus the Lord is our Savior and Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob, 
that in him we have all the riches of heaven, peace, and righteousness. And we look forward to the day when he comes again in glory to make all things new. That new and heavenly Jerusalem in which violence shall no more be heard, nor devastation or destruction be within our borders, where we will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Where the sun shall no more be our light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give us light, but the Lord Jesus Christ will be our everlasting light. And you, our God, will be our glory. Our sun shall no more go down, nor our moon withdraw itself, for the Lord Jesus will be our everlasting light, and all our days of mourning shall be ended. And your people shall all be righteous, and we shall possess heaven forever, the branch of your planting, the work of your hands, that you might be glorified. You are the Lord. And in its proper time, you will hasten it to us. Until that great day, glory to you in the highest. And on earth, peace for those on whom your favor rests. And hear us, we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen.